It's too late. We're almost there. Already? Jules tugged on one sneaker as she glanced back at the clock. I thought you were leaving at nine. The pilot called. There's a storm or something. I don't know. He has to fly out earlier. Oh no, make him wait. I can't. Don't you get it? She's really doing it, Jules, Shay said, and some of the toughness in her voice disappeared. Edie's getting rid of me. That was a little overly dramatic, but so was Shay, through and through. Jules finished lacing her running shoes. Then tell her to wait. You tell her, Shay said, and a second later Jules heard her mother's voice say, Look, Julia, there's no reason to argue with me. This is beyond my control. I told Shaylee that she has to go whenever the pilot can fly her safely to the school, and he says they need to go earlier because of the storm. No, Mom, wait, you can't just send her to- I damn well can. She's underage. I'm her guardian, and she's got a court order. We've had this conversation before. Let's not rehash it. But it's either this or juvenile detention again. This is her last chance, Julia. The judge ordered her to make a choice, and she, smart as she is, took the school. It was also her choice to hang out with that criminal and take part in a crime. Her boyfriend wasn't so fortunate. He didn't have a rich father to get him a lawyer. Dog will be going to prison for a long time, so your sister should count herself lucky. Just wait. The connection was severed, leaving Jules to worry from the middle of her messy bedroom. She couldn't believe her mother was actually shipping Shaley off to a distant school for troubled teens, one that was in the middle of no-damned-where. She flew out of her condo and waved to Mrs. Dixon, her neighbor, as the woman carried her wet newspaper into her unit. Once inside her old Volvo, she drove toward Lake Washington and the address she'd gotten from Edie earlier, the spot from which Shaley was to be picked up by seaplane for her ride to Blue Rock Academy in southern Oregon. Edie had given Jules the address the day before. Jules floored it. However, the freeway was a parking lot, and the latest traffic report blaring from Jules' radio didn't make her feel any better. Apparently, everyone who owned a car in the state of Washington was sitting on the I-5 freeway in the drizzling rain, as evidenced by the line of blazing taillights stretching ahead of her Volvo. Jules peered wearily past the slapping windshield wiper as the traffic crawled north. Still fighting a headache, she drummed her fingers on her steering wheel and wished she knew a faster way to get to Lake Washington. She'd battled rush hour down in Portland, Oregon, when she'd worked at Bateman High, but since losing her teaching job last June, she'd been spared the annoyance of rush hour. In her current position as a waitress at 101, a high-end restaurant on the waterfront, she covered the night shift and usually avoided traffic, one of the few perks of the job. The radio did little to calm her nerves, and the windshield wipers slapping away the rain only added to her case of jitters. Jules was too late. Shay was going to fly off without a goodbye, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. Not even Edie could fix this. A judge had ruled that Shay was to be sent away for rehabilitation. She tuned the radio to a station where songs from the 80s were peppered with rapid-fire traffic updates from Brenda, the serious reporter who rattled off trouble spots on the freeway system so fast it was hard to keep up. Not that it helped. Basically, it seemed, every freeway was a snarled mess this miserable February morning. Come on, come on, Jules muttered, glancing at the clock on the dash of her 20-year-old sedan. 8.17, the height of rush hour and she was supposed to be on the dock by 8.30 or it would be too late. She flipped on her blinker and bullied her way into the lane that was curving toward the Evergreen Point Bridge that spanned Lake Washington. A semi-driver reluctantly allowed her to squeeze in, and she offered him a smile and a wave as she wedged her way into the far right lane and nosed her car east. She was nearly clipped by a guy in a black Toyota who was talking on his cell phone. Idiot!
She slammed on her brakes and slid into the spot just as the first notes of Billie Jean by Michael Jackson filled the interior of her Volvo. Oh, God. She pushed the radio's button to another preset station, but the strains of the song reverberated through her head. In her mind's eye, again she saw her father, lying in a pool of his own blood, his dying eyes staring upward as the song played over and over. Jules nearly smashed into the pickup in front of her. Oh, Jesus. Calm down, don't kill yourself getting there. Adrenaline from the near wreck sang through her veins. Jittery, she took three breaths, then, with one hand, fished inside her purse for a bottle of painkillers. The stuff she'd taken earlier hadn't worked. She found the bottle and popped off the cap with her thumb. Pills sprayed over her, but she didn't care, washing two tablets down quickly with the remains of yesterday's Diet Coke that she'd left in the car's cup holder. The bad mix of caffeine-laden syrup and...